about it. This is a, for me, somewhat of a strange sermon. Um, I just, I had to do it. I had to, I just prepared it a few weeks ago. I had to do it. I, I mulled around on it and talked about it and to God, you know, and we talked back and forth. And uh, I, the title is, God has chosen to work through people, through people. God uses people to proclaim his word. Uh, it has always been a wonder to me that God uses people to proclaim his word. We're not very good. And sometimes at our best, we're pitiful. Uh, you, you, you've had a witnessing opportunity, I'm sure, that the Holy Spirit opened up for you and you miserably failed. You got scared. You got frustrated. You didn't say what you were supposed to say how you were supposed to say it. And how do you know that? Because when you went away, the Holy Spirit told you, you didn't say what you were supposed to say, how you were supposed to say it. You know, you got convicted about it. And you said, man, I failed miserably. But, but it's interesting, no matter how we fail, God cho- has chosen to work through people. The work of God is life and eternal death important. I mean, the souls of the people we bump into are at stake. All eternity rides on our doing <clears throat> what he has asked us to do, which is to go in the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The souls of men literally hang in the balance tonight. I believe in any moral and legitimate method of getting the word of God to people. I constantly pray for creativity that God would allow me, if we could figure out another way to give the gospel, we'll do it. We've had uh, ice cream ministry, uh, flea market ministry, billboard ministry, full page ad in a paper with the gospel in it. Um, God, obviously, gospel tracks. If you don't believe in gospel tracks and the power of gospel tracks, shame on you. I mean, if I haven't proven to you through, if you've been here very long, if I haven't proven to you the power and the ability of gospel tracts to, to save people. My wife was, uh, in, in a large part, saved because of gospel tract by Chick Track. It's a man's name, actually. Jack Chick. And he wrote, This Was Your Life. And he wrote The Beast, two tracts that she really was intrigued by. What I could not verbally tell her, those, those little cartoon tracts, explained to her. And she, we're the cartoon generation. And so she looked at it. How many, we had a book up here years ago and read through it, testimony, a whole book of testimonies, people got saved from gospel tracts. People get saved, most, I, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't have the fact really, but many times, I mean not most, they get saved by discarded tracts. We're talking about stuff thrown away. I put tracks on the side window of a car where a guy opens his window, he's going to have to pick it up and throw it. A lot of times they throw them on the ground. That track isn't done yet. Somebody picks that up off the ground. Uh, sometimes they put them in, in those shopping carts. That track's not done. Those, those people that collect them shopping carts. I heard people getting saved by picking a track up out of a shopping cart, a discarded track, and they get saved. 
Why do I know that? The Word of God's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, brother. The Word of God, go, but isn't it amazing that God's chosen us as a vehicle? I preached a sermon called the flaming, no, the flaming sword. That's not the one I preached. I preached that too, but uh, I preached one where the, uh, I can't remember what it, I can't remember the title to it right now. It slipped me. Well, anyways, it's about the angel that flies through heaven proclaiming the everlasting gospel in the book of Revelation. I mean, I, I, when, I, when I first read it, I thought, that's a better way. <laughs> that's a better way. That's better than door-to-door. That's better than passing tracks. That's better than bus ministry. This angel flies through heaven proclaiming the everlasting gospel. But that's in the tribulation period. Why does he do that? Because so many Christians have been taken out. That God loves those people so much that he even overrides his general rule of thumb, which is he uses people to spread the gospel. He overrides it. I think because there's so few Christians during that period of time alive, the rapture took out the majority. The rest of them are being killed for their faith. And so he still wants those unsaved people to hear the gospel. So he, he takes that, that flying evangelist, you know, the flying angel going down through heaven proclaiming the everlasting gospel. Because he wants, now I'm not saying they respond to it, but he wants them to hear it. So you and I, when we testify of Jesus, we testify to the people who receive Christ, we testify, we testify to them. To those who reject Jesus, we testify against them. Our ministry is in two directions. To those who are going to reject it, it's, it's, it's a testimony against them. To those who receive it, it's a testimony for them. But we're supposed to do it no matter what. You read Ezekiel chapter 3 and 33 before. You know, if you warn the wicked of his wicked way, that's your job. If you don't, I'm going to require his blood at your hand. I never read that passage without chill coming down my spine. Because I'll be honest with you, I have let some people go to hell. I've let some people go to hell. What do you mean by that? Is that I didn't give them the testimony that God wanted me to give them when I was supposed to give it. And they died before I was able to give it. And I feel so bad about it. You've heard, you've heard you that have heard me heard some of the testimonies. The worst one I ever had, of course, early on in my life. It helped me and has helped me. And so... Throughout history, the Bible records God's use of men, starting, let's say, with Noah. Noah was used to preach, he was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says, to literally save mankind. He saved mankind by obeying and building an ark. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. <laughs> Uh, according to Grady McMurtry and Brother Hines and some of these other creationists, they said they didn't think it ever rained until Noah. So they didn't know what rain was, and they absolutely did not know what a flood was. And nobody had ever seen a worldwide flood where there wasn't any place to go. And so he was telling them that God was going to flood the earth, and they would like, but he believed God, though he personally had never seen it. And so in doing that, it pleased God. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. How many have been to the, the ark experience? Anybody, man? Well, if you haven't been, you owe it to yourself to go. You really do. You been there, Ben Don? 
No, you got to go to the Ark Experience, brother. I don't go anywhere else. Well, you travel a lot. Let's get up there. Uh, buddy, that Ark Experience is a life-size, 570-some-odd-foot wood structure, uh, approximately, you know, real close to what the Bible says it should be. And you get to walk in and through that thing. And I'm going to tell you, it gives you some... I tell you what it gave me. It gave me a high appreciation for Noah and his kids. I mean, anybody that can build that big a structure, cut that much wood down, plane that much wood, be able to shape that much wood, to put it together over, no wonder 120 years. No wonder. No wonder. Or 100 years. That's 100, excuse me. Yeah, 100 years. And so... It's a massive structure. All I can say that Noah was rich beyond belief. Because you have to cut those trees down and you have to have, you had to get them there, right? And he, that would almost be a whole forest. He had to own the trees. I don't think he cut his neighbor's trees down. He said he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By which he condemned the world. The world said it's not so. God's not going to flood us. He's not going to do it. They're saying it today. Jesus isn't coming back. There's no coming back. He's dead. He's laying in the grave. He ain't coming back. But the truth is he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to condemn them. It's going to condemn them for their unbelief. And I'm going to tell you, when that, when that old door, when God shut the door, gathered those animals and shut the door on that ark, and the rain began, and the fountains of the deep began to be broken up, and all that went with that earthquake and everything else, uh, it condemned him with a flood. It says there, saving of his house by which he condemned the world, and he became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. In Second Peter 2, 5, it says, And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So he used Noah as a testimony. However, however imperfect Noah was, he used Noah as a testimony to the world, that world of that time. After Noah, he called a man by the name of Abram, Abraham, actually, to lead the charge on reaching the world. See, God's always, always, always prime directive to reach the world with the gospel. That's what we're here for. I know we're here to grow each other. We're here to enjoy. I mean, but that's all secondary to the prime directive, which is going to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Any church or any philosophy that gets off of that is off the mark. You're alive and breathing so you can give the gospel tomorrow or tonight, wherever you go. Boy, if you get that right, it's not so hard. Because you say, well, here, I'm here to give the gospel. I'm here to give, I'm alive so I can give the gospel. I wouldn't be surprised if Sikora, is he here tonight? I wouldn't be surprised if Sikora has lived as long as he has because that old boy cares about people and they pass out some thousand, used to pass out a thousand tracks. You know, that may be a secret to longevity because truthfully, he should have died. And if he shouldn't have died, surely his wife should have died. That woman told me the other day, it's the longest I've been, I haven't been out of the hospital. I mean, she'll got... Both of her kidneys failed. She's got a, a third kidney that they implanted on her. She'd been in the hospital. I can't tell you how many times I visited her and say, I'll say to Brother Moon, whoever's with her, it ain't going to come out of here. And I pronounced, you know, you know, the final, you know, Baptists, we, we don't have like the Catholics do, but I, 
put the last words on her. She comes back. She bounces back. She'll probably be at my funeral. That's the crazy part of it all. Hope she comes. He said in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 12 is where we're at, 1 through 4. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country from thy kindred, from the father's house, unto the land which I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. Now I'm going to say this. The God who made the world and the stars the moon and everything else, when he says great, he means great. And I will bless thee and will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And here's the key phrase. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Through Abraham, we got the gospel. We got Jesus Christ. And through Abraham, the entire earth has been blessed. Let me tell you, America's only great because Christianity has been the founding philosophy of this nation. It hasn't been the people. People didn't have anything better than any other people in the world. It was the philosophy that they adopted that Christ was king and Lord of lords. And if you don't believe it, go to Yale, go to Harvard, read their founding documents. But the founding institutions of this country were all over Jesus in the Bible. And so they need all the families of earth should be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Uh, I, I was just looking at his journey. He had quite a journey. Abraham obeyed God, left his security, left his family, going as a nomad for God. God says you're not going to be able to have a house your whole life. Girls, you're going to live out of a tent. You're not going to get a house. You're going to live out of a tent. And she says, boy, I got more than I bargained for when I married this guy. By the way, I'd have liked to lay eyes on Sarah, wouldn't you? I mean, that girl covered up right from here. She was so good looking. Guys were willing to kill for her. Did anybody read the Bible? You men are so quiet. I mean, I'm ashamed of you tonight, to be honest with you. You know what I'm talking about. She was a head turner. I mean, when she walked in the room, everybody noticed her. Wow. I bet she got more than she bargained for when she married old Abraham, man. Eh? You mean I don't get no house? No. You mean I get no certain place to dwell? No. You mean I'm going to be a, a vagabond, no man the rest of my life? Yes. You mean I'm going to have a baby at 90? Yes. What we learn, oh, we learn from these Noah and Abram. We learn that these two men, that, that we learn from those two men of Noah, none else, that God's not in a rush. God's not in a rush. God moves slowly, but he moves surely. It took hundreds of years to develop a nation through Abraham. I mean, way past him. He lived, he lived 175 years old. But it had to go past him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes, their sons, some 430 years in Egypt, which was basically boot camp where they were getting strong and getting skilled and getting disciplined and getting ready to settle a hostile promised land with seven nations there that had walled cities stronger, mightier than they were. And what happened? God raised up another man. He raised up Moses. Moses to lead the people. Boy, now Moses of all, you couldn't write a story. You couldn't invent what the Bible puts there about Moses. 
This woman has a baby. They're told to kill it. She puts it in swaddling, you know, puts it in, a, uh, not swaddling clothes, in a manger. I've been around Christmas a little bit, though. Puts it in this basket, chars the thing, puts the lid on it, throws it into some reeds, uh, hopefully where this, this Pharaoh's daughter comes down. I think that was on purpose. And, you know, the Pharaoh hears the baby cries. Or Pharaoh's daughter hears, sends him over there again. Oh, a beautiful baby. The daughter runs over there and says, this is the daughter of the mother, runs over there and says, hey, you're going to need somebody. You're going to need a wet nurse. She says, yeah, well, find me one. Oh, I'll just happen to find your mother. Come on now. That's God all the way, man. Moses, Moses. He's a household term. He's a household term. So many years, 3,500 almost years down the road, he's a household term, Moses. He was from an obscure place, nobody knew, but he ended up being royalty of Egypt, taught in all the knowledge of Egypt. Acts 7.22 says Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Then God used Joshua. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, and Joshua was chosen as a... As a a guy that worked with Moses and learned, got to go up in the mountain with him, a few other good things. Joshua led some two-plus million people to the promised land, and it was a war. You know, God could have given that whole promised land to them. He could have went ahead of them and just whoop, wiped everybody out and said, okay, you got to dwell in cities. But you know, that's not the way God does things, really. This is the way God does things. He didn't give it to them without a fight. They had to fight. Uh, he could have single-handedly done it, but he didn't. But he had men do it. I mean, gee, you know, God killed Sodom and Gomorrah, boom. But he didn't do that to those folks. Those seven nations, he didn't do that to. Uh, he killed, they figure, 20-plus billion people in the flood, boom. But he didn't do that in the seven great nations. Those seven great nations uh, that, that he told his people to go through with Joshua, he said, you're going to have to take this by war. You're going to have to take this city by city. And so uh, he, he wanted his men, he wanted them to be part of it. He wanted their blood, sweat, and tears, if I may say, to be part of, of the process. God wants you to include you in his kingdom and what's going on. So he had them take it little by little, didn't he? In Deuteronomy 7.22, it says, And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little, little by little. Thou mayest not consume them all at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. God used people like Samuel. Samuel, one of the greatest prophets. In fact, he is considered the greatest, the greatest prophet of the Bible. Greatest priest. Excuse me, not prophet. Priest. Samuel comes from a crazy environment. In other words, you know, Hannah wanting a baby, doesn't get a baby. You know, goes in and prays. God gives her baby. She gives the baby to Eli, Eli raises the kid in the temple. I mean, what in the world? Strange, strange story. But Brother Samuel's heart is for God. And God uses Samuel to guide the people. After Samuel, we had all those judges, some 13 judges in total in the book of Judges, lead people. God uses those men. As inferior and as troubled as those men were, nevertheless, he used every one of them as they would obey him. Then God chose kings, Saul, David, Solomon. Saul's a nobody, a runt king from a runt tribe, from a runt nation. That's it right there, brother. And 
David, the least of his family. Don't you like it? I just love the story when uh, Samuel's in there and says, uh, uh, let, me, let your kids pass before me and, you know, start to the oldest. You know, the oldest gets everything. I'm the baby of the family, so I have no real love for the oldest. You know what I mean? But, the, you know, the oldest goes before him, and then the second one, <laughs> third one, no, fourth one, no, fifth one, no, sixth one. You got any more kids? Well, I suppose I got one more who's out taking care of the sheep, and surely not him. Well, we're not going to sit down and eat until he comes. And so he comes before him, and the Bible says, man, when Samuel saw him, the Holy Spirit said, that's the one. That's the one that's going to lead. He's going to be a man after my own heart. Ooh, he used David. Now, you know David was not perfect. You know David. You know enough of David to know he struggled and things, had horrible. He, was, he murdered a man. He committed adultery with another man's. The, the old man had, the, uh, the, the poor boy had one wife. David had more than one wife. And David took that one guy's wife and killed him on top of it. It was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. God still used him, wrote half the Psalms. And then he uses Solomon. Solomon. We today read the book of Proverbs. Most of Proverbs written by Solomon. Many Psalms written by Solomon. But Solomon loved many women, foreign women, women of, of not like precious faith. The Bible says they drew Solomon away in the latter part of his life. He, he failed, absolutely failed miserably. But God used Solomon still. What I'm trying to get at is God is not looking for perfect vessels to use in his service. Are you with me? If he's looking for perfect vessels, we're all outside looking in. We're all outside looking in. He, he chooses these people. I wouldn't choose them, no, but he knows their heart. God chose Elijah and Elisha and the prophets as mouthpieces for him. He could have spoken through angels. By the way, he could speak through animals. I'm, I am absolutely convinced that animals are going to talk in the time to come. I don't have any doubt about it. Animals are going to speak, talk audibly, understandably in the time to come. Uh, a donkey talked to Balaam. Evidently, he understood it. It's not impossible for sure, amen. He said, hey, man, have I not done everything you've always wanted me to do? Like, duh, what are you whipping me? I saved your life. That's my rendition of that. Let's see, uh, BJV, Billy's, Billy James version. <laughs> but uh, no, in Jeremiah 25, 4, the Lord has sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not hearkened or inclined your ear. Over and over in the book of Jeremiah, sad case of affairs. But he chose Jeremiah. Jeremiah was far from a perfect person. Jeremiah had all kinds. But he said, Jeremiah, you're going to do it. You're going to be my guy. Jeremiah 44, 4 says, Howbeit I sent you unto you all my servants, the prophets rising early and sending, saying, this was Jeremiah's message, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. Oh, that'd go over big. I mean, Norman Vincent Peale liked that. The power of positive thinking. That, that when Jeremiah get up to preach, he says, Quit! doing the abominations that you're doing. Quit doing the abominations you're doing. 20 different times in the book of Jeremiah, they tried to put that guy in prison or persecute him, tried to kill him a few times. Whew. 
but he did the will of God. All the prophets, he chooses men and sends them to the most obscure and isolated places and backgrounds. Uh, you, you can go into modern history with Adoniram Judson and William Carey and Hudson Taylor and so many others. How he used those men, how strange each one uniquely, but he used them. By the way, God normally does not send blue bloods, if you know what I'm saying. He's more inclined to send junkyard dogs. God's more inclined to choose a nobody, people that are little in their own sight, small in their own credentials and human ability and credibility. God's way more likely to use somebody that's small in their own sight and not super, not part of the system. Well, then we go to the New Testament. We see the pattern remains the same through the New Testament. Jesus, first of all, the Messiah comes. Where does he come from? 15, 16-year-old girl and nobody out of a little village called Bethlehem. Uh, uh, he has no formal education that we know of, no connections to the institutions of his day. Jesus never wrote a book, uh, never wrote a poem, never composed a song, never held an office, and so many other things. He, he calls disciples that truthfully we would call a bunch of losers. I mean, they're out there fishing because they're too lazy to get a real job. I bet when I see Peter, he ain't going to like that. But I mean, he calls tax collectors. Oh, you love those folks. Nobodies. He calls them the lead, the charge. Eleven of them, one of them always was Judas. He never said Judas was saved, not from the first time. He said, one of you is the devil. He knew Judas from the beginning. He knew he chose him. He was never going to be saved. He was never going to accept it. Never. But the eleven, he says, now I want you to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I bet they looked at each other and goes, how many languages you know? Wherever you've been. You, most of the people have never been out of Israel. The world? Yeah, The world. He's given men the responsibility to reach and preach the gospel through the known world, even today. God, in the New Testament, chose pastors and deacons into his plan to lead his local church. Men with very, very specific qualifications. Almost none of them the world appreciates. So what does this prove, preacher, in this little thing I've gone through here tonight? What's it prove? Well, here's what it proves. That God wants to use you. If God will use those folks, he can use you. There's no excuse for you saying, well, I stutter. I don't have a good memory. I can't enunciate. Uh, uh, I can't, uh, I'm shy. There's no excuse that you can come up with before God to somehow say, God, you're not big enough to use me. Because isn't that what you're saying? You're not big enough to use me. Because see, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him. That God wants you to be part of his kingdom, part of his plan. That you are important in the cause of Christ. But you, you may feel insignificant. You may feel small. Personally, in my opinion, that qualifies you. I get excited when somebody tells me, I don't believe I can do that. I'm excited. People say, how about taking a bus ride? Oh, I don't believe I can do that. I don't like children. I said, beautiful, beautiful. You hate children? Yes, I hate you. Oh, my, you're number one candidate. <laughs> He'll break your heart. At 17 years old, when God called me to the bus ministry, 
I'm going to say this with, with reverence, uh, but I hated children. I didn't want to be around children. To me, they were dirty, slobbery, nasty, rude, uh, bothered me a lot. And this guy from Hiles Anderson kept saying, I want you to go help me. I'm a bus manager. And I said, man, I, I don't want to do it. I, don't, I can't stand here. Why don't you go help me and bus me? Over and over that, oh boy. He never gave up on me. This is really, really important. I gave him not one little indication I was going to do it. Not one. Finally, one day, he came, and he did every time he saw me, would you do the bus ministry, man? Why don't you come? I said, I'll tell you what. I'll go one time, and that's it. I'm going to go one time, and then you shut up. Don't say one more word. He said, if I, you go one time, I won't say another word. I never could get over it. Oh, hard-hearted, selfish 17-year-old, went to, went to house after house, saw them little them little rug rats, curtain climbers, run out there with snotty, dirty noses. I mean, I'm a little, I notice things, and I'm going to tell you, that really bothers me. When a kid licks his upper lip, just to, it just bothers me a little bit. And, and they'd hug you with that, with those old filthy hands. And, and, uh, and there's a, there's a, it used to be a detective show where this guy was a real need for it. That was like me, you know? And, and, and it hugged me, and they broke my heart totally. I said to the guy, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. You've ruined my life. <laughs> Boy, when you say, Brother Bill, I'm, I'm just a nobody. Then God says, oh, I'm looking for nobodies. You know what God's looking for tonight? He's looking for nobodies. He's looking for weak people. He's looking for not, not even gifted people. A gift will ruin you if you're not careful. First of all, a gift's a gift, right? A gift's a gift. You didn't earn it, don't deserve it. And so if you're good at something, don't get puffed up about it. It was a gift. You could be like us. Brother, we get anything. We know that wasn't no gift. That was a miracle. <laughs> Don't back away when God gives you a huge task. You can doubt your capabilities. All you want to doubt your capabilities. That's not a bad thing. But have faith in a great God. Be little, but have faith in a great God. A little man with a great God. A small man with a great God. That's what we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound those things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. <laughs> Why? A statement of profundity that no flesh will glory in his presence. That's a statement of profundity. No flesh will glory in his presence. All of us are going to, when we see it, we're going to lay, we're going to fall down on the old gold pavement and say, You deserve all the honor, all the glory 
all the power, all the dominion, all everything. Worthy. Don't you love in Revelation 5 where it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Man, I read that, I want to cry like a baby. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That's what we're going to do. And you know what's beautiful about that? That puts us all on an equal plane. Puts us all on an equal plane. And we said, I can't do it, but God can. Amen. It never was about you. That was a deception. You may have thought it was about you. Hey, I've seen people in school that had such ability to, to be orators and, and to orate and to speak and to, and to be whimsical. Was that a word? They were charismatic, um, likable. They had a voice that sounded. You just wanted to hear the voice. I've seen them fail, fall flat on their face. They're out selling used cars. Not that that's bad. But it is if you're called into the ministry. God can do anything he desires through a willing vessel. Anything. He's not limited. And I ask you a question tonight and I close. Will you be that vessel? There's a lot of young people here tonight from college. I didn't prepare this because you were here, but it's interesting to me that you are here. A lot of us old-timers, we've already answered that question a long, long time ago. We've said, yes, we'll be willing vessels, and we've tried to be willing vessels. But some of you younger people may not have done that yet. You, you may not have come to God and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Let me say this. There's no better life. There's no better life. The world offers you a carrot, but it's, it's, it's not true. You know, like, like Brother Getch said, yes, sin, there's pleasure of sin for a season. There is pleasure. There is excitement. But in the morning, it's got an aftertaste. It's like saccharin. I believe in eating real sugar. Everybody say amen. amen. Saccharin Christians, that's the title of one of my sermons, saccharin Christians. You know, they look like sugar. They act like sugar, but they got no, no sugar. But the real sugar, real cane sugar. That's what God wants. Amen? It's a natural product. He grew it. Not some chemist in light, in, in somewhere in, in any university coming up saying, well, this will make their ears glow. Will you be part of the kingdom of heaven? Will you be part of his program? I love this church. I love this church. Because we don't have any big shots at gospel. We don't have any big shots. We got a medical doctor. Uh, he's not a big shot. We got a veterinarian. He, he's a bus captain. Which, by the way, he asked me at his funeral. He said, I'm not going to tell him you're a vet. I'm going to tell him you're a bus captain, brother. Best thing I ever say. Uh, we don't have a bunch of big shots. We got, we got people that are small in their own eyes that are willing to serve a living God that's great. Hmm. Wow. Wow. This is fabulous. I, I want to pinch myself. Honestly, six, now I'm going to say it again. 67 years old. People tell me, oh, Brother Bill, can you believe people criticize me? It's hard to believe. They'll come to me and say, Brother Bill, you talk about age a lot. I say, well, when you get to be a preacher, you talk about it. Talk whatever you want about I'm just amazed every day that I live that I get another one. 
And so when I hit 67, I'm like, wow, can you believe it? Amen? Live for Jesus. You young people, choose Jesus. The world's saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You live for God. He'll take you this. I, can, I can't tell you what your path is because God is so unique to make us every snowflake different. You tell me. He's not going to tell me or you. Your, your path is going to be unique. And so you just follow him one day at a time. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. He'll take care of where you're going, how you're going. Like Abraham. Abraham says, he says, go Abraham. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Okay. I'll just keep going. Stop here, Abraham. Okay, I'll stop here for a while. Put your tent down, Abraham. Okay, Abraham, pull your tent. Go a little further. Where do you want me to go? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Just keep moving. When you want, I'll stop here. Amen. He finally got all the way to Bethel. If you look at his path, all the way up, all the way down, all the way. He finally ended up at Bethel, the house of God. And that's where we all are going to end up, amen, by the grace of God. Father, help us tonight. Help us to trust you. Isn't that what this is about? And Father, do something. Save some people through us and the Word of God. What a privilege it is to have people that through the testimony of the gospel, through this earthen vessel, we have this treasure, this treasure called the gospel that we can tell people. And may you save all those that sail with us. God, I ask tonight you save my neighbors. You know who they are. I, I call out by name. Father, save my relatives that we've called out by name. Some of them 45 years. Father, you want them saved more than we do. Father, save them. Don't let them go to sleep at night. Don't let them have any peace. Till they say yes to Jesus. Father, come in thy fullness tonight. Call some people tonight. Help some Christians get right with you tonight. And there's some in our midst without Jesus. May they be convicted and understand that they can know you, whom to know is life everlasting. Oh, Father, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Two verses, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. You come, do business with God. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.